Welcome to the Reconcile Community Church podcast. We hope and pray that the resources that will be shared on here would be a blessing to you. If you want more information or to support our church financially as we do the work in the beautiful Queen City of Cincinnati, Ohio, you can find more information about that at www.reconcilecincy.org. Be blessed. And this afternoon, we are jumping back into our sermon series entitled Reconcile Identity. We're we're walking back into this. We're taking our time walking through our mission, vision, and values. Uh, But then at the same time, we've taken some time to really talk about what does it mean to be the people of Reconcile. And so every year we go through this as a mission, vision, and values series, one to help reorient our lives around the reality of being people of God. But what does that look like for us here at Reconcile Community Church? What should we be known for? If we were to um, if we were to say what makes us unique, what, what makes us tick? And so that's the whole uh, sermon series in a nutshell. And so we've been really hanging our hat and hanging, uh, pitching a tent around this idea of us being people who want to be with God. And what are the implications of that? And so on Sundays, we've been talking at a high level of the things that we, we, we value, that we care for as it relates to our witness with God, where we talk about the importance of being lovers of the scriptures, being those who want to abide on the vine. Uh, but then today, I, I want to be able to share another caveat of it, is that we want to embrace our dependence on him. And so what we do on Sundays is that we've been going through these series. We've been walking through these things at 30,000 feet. And a lot of times you probably leave out of our time saying, okay, but how do I tangibly do that? Well, we've been in this pretty cool deal where we have a lecture and a lab component. On Sundays, we are learning these things at 30,000 foot, but on Wednesdays, we get to learn the very practical ways that we can flesh this out. Today will be a little bit different. I won't give practical pieces, but we're going to be talking about fasting as an opportunity for us to embrace our dependence on him. But for more tangible and practical ways that we can go about this on Wednesdays at 8 p.m., I want to invite you to come back and that way we can spend some time in practical ways. But today, I want us as we continue on as the people of Reconcile, understanding the importance of us embracing our dependence on him. Here's what the text says in Matthew chapter uh, 6, verses 16 through 18. Here is what it says. You've heard this before, so don't check out. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who sees in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you, will reward you you. We like that last part, that he will reward you. But I think there's so much more here that we can unpack this afternoon. For many of you um, who are watching online and those who are here uh, in person, um, one of the things that happened in the midst of this pandemic is that I realized something about myself. I realized uh, that, man, technology and social media can be hindrances for me. 
I can find myself in the death scroll. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, where you get on a social media channel and that newsfeed just continues to grow over and over and over and over and over. And it feels like it's just always happening. And so I found myself really just seeming like I was addicted to social media. I didn't have anywhere to go. I couldn't go any place. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't really do much. I could just sit at home. And the only way that I felt connected to people was through my device. But I had a problem. And so I wanted to try to course correct. I wanted to try to do something to try to get me back on the right track. And so I ended up buying uh, a phone called a light phone. This is a light phone. So for you who are here, this is a light phone. Uh, this phone is very interesting uh, because this phone only allows me to do a few things and that's it. The phone only allows me to call people, to text people, and um, I can listen to two podcasts and it gives me walking directions, but that's it. This is the only thing that this phone does. The whole phone's purpose is to get me to simplify my life enough and just use a phone for what it's worth to call and to communicate with people. That's it. No social media. There's nothing else on this phone that I can do. Well, as you can imagine, I started using it and I felt pretty good. I started to think, you know what, this is this is kind of working out. But but quickly, I realized a part of my job as a pastor, as it's shifting in the midst of this pandemic, is that I actually need to be on social media. I have to be able to engage with our people since I'm not physically present with them. And so what ended up happening was I, I began to slowly have to move back to my iPhone. And I know what you're thinking. This doesn't seem like a big deal, but this phone costs money and I didn't want to just waste the money. So I had to try to figure out how can I repurpose this and use it in such a way where I can get my money's worth. And so I started to look at this phone. I started to go through the limited settings that it had. And I realized that they had a personal hotspot thing on here. So I put my SIM card in here and I fired it up. I went on my computer and lo and behold, I was able to use this phone as a hotspot. And, and it was seemingly cool. Every time that I needed to use something, if I was out, I didn't have to go try to find a mobile hotspot. My phone, my actual iPhone doesn't have a hotspot. And so I was using this phone as a mobile hotspot. But all the while, I should have been using it to declutter my life. The phone's original intent was for me to simplify my life, to be able to call and text and communicate with people. That's it. The original intent for this was for me to reorient my life. But yet and still, I decided to repackage it and use it for something that it wasn't originally supposed to do. In essence, I spent a bunch of money for a hotspot when I could have saved my money and actually got what I actually needed. But instead, I used something in the wrong way. In a lot of ways, what, what we, we find ourselves is just like me with this phone, with the light phone. We, we have these things that we can use to be able to help us to grow in our relationship with God that, that helps us to be able to cultivate our relationship with God. But, but like me, we, we don't like to use the things for their intended purposes. We like to try to repurpose those practices and things that God may have given to us so that we can build a relationship with him. We kind of repurpose these things for selfish motives. 
and I know this may seem like I'm coming out of left field, but, but there are multiple things that God has given to us, not so that we would use them to get things from him, but that we would be able to develop our relationship with him. It's a difference. Uh, we, we take things like prayer and fasting and all of these different spiritual disciplines, and we believe that if we just did these things, then they will lead to us being able to get certain things from God instead of just being able to get to be with God. We use these things in the wrong ways. And when we use these practices, when we use these different things that are intended for us to be able to grow in our relationship with him for the wrong ways, in the wrong manners, then what ends up happening is we dumb down our relationship with God. And we've been talking about this idea that it's a relationship, not this transactional deal where it's all about conditions and what have you done for me lately? No, our relationship with God is supposed to be intimate. It's supposed to be a relationship that's two-way. And, and God gives us these practices and these disciplines as an opportunity for us to cultivate our relationship with him. But sadly, what ends up happening is we use these tools to try to short circuit the process so that we can get things from him instead of actually getting to be with him. And if we have this type of mentality, when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, you and I, if we're not careful, they can literally lead us to an on-ramp or a fast lane for us to feel burnt out, for us to punt on our relationship with God. Because when we begin to think that the only reason why we use fasting is to get something from God, what happens when we fast and God doesn't speak? What happens if we're only thinking that prayer is only a means for us to communicate with God what we need and then somehow, some way he gives us to it? What happens when you pray and God doesn't give you what you ask for? What, what, what happens if you begin to read the scriptures and you're only trying to read the scriptures for guidance for what you want? But what if God is trying to just be with you? And so the very things that you're trying to get from God, maybe he's just wanting to be with you. What happens then if we use the practices and disciplines in the wrong way? What can happen is that we can miss God in some tragic ways. And this couldn't be for, and this is this could not have been better said for the spiritual gift of fat, not the spiritual gift, but the spiritual discipline of fasting. I heard it said that the gift of fasting, this like opportunity that we have to fast, is probably one of the most abused spiritual gifts that God, spiritual disciplines that God has given to us. One of these amazing practices that if we're honest, we have used for such selfish motives. We, we've used it as a holy ATM debit card of sorts. It's not so much that getting guidance and direction is a bad thing. The reality is that fasting in and of itself is not holistic and all about just you getting direction from God. That's a byproduct. Fasting gives us an opportunity to be with God, to be reminded of our dependence on him, that he is good and that we are in desperate need of him. Everyone has, is using fasting these days. It's one of those things now that we see that it's just all the rave, right? You know, most people are using fasting to lose weight. We see some people in other religions that use fasting to empty themselves or to reach nirvana or to do all of these different things. But in essence, when you look at it at its face value, a lot of the times when we're using fasting, we're, we're using it for our own selves by what we can get. 
it lacks the intimacy that is necessary. And so we have to, we have to push through the, the notion. We have to push through what society is telling us that fasting should be about. And we have to reorient our minds around this reality that fasting opens up a door for us to be in better community with him. That fasting is an open invitation for us to be reminded of our utter dependence on him, knowing that, man, we need our relationship with him. We need to be able to speak to him and to be with him. There are multiple different ways and uh, uh, different definitions of what fasting is. Uh, Richard Foster said uh, this about about fasting. He, he, he says this, Richard Foster says this about fasting. He says, it is the practice of abstaining from food for something for spiritual purposes. And that sounds cool. I, I think that that's cool, but I, I want to add what I think it may mean. I, I believe that fasting can be defined as this, the denial of physical food or something else for the purpose of reorienting our lives, yearnings for physical cravings to crave the spiritual nourishment that comes from being with God. It's this idea that we give up of our physical cravings to reorient our need for our spiritual cravings, that we need God. We need to be with him. It reminds us in this time, that man, look, we can't do this apart from him, that we need to be in community with him. We need to be hearing from him. We need to be being with him. And fasting invites us into this reality. It's important for us to be able to do this. Again, this notion that we fast, then God has to move us, can literally strangle out the blessing of what fasting could be for us in our lives. And in this cultural moment, I truly believe that this sacred art of fasting is necessary, especially for believers, because it teaches us how to sacrifice and abstain in a society that preaches that there's no restraints, that you can get what you want, that you can overindulge, and that, and that, um, and, and that you can crowd out your life with stuff. Or to say it another way, society is teaching us that our God is our belly. And it alone knows what we need. But here, what we see in the text this afternoon is that Jesus is offering us the way that we should fast, the way that we should correctly go about it. But it's interesting because he doesn't give us a lot of specifics. He just tells us that this practice is here for us. And this practice is available for us to be able to help declutter our lives so that we can clearly hear and to be with him. And so the big idea for us today, uh, as we are jumping into our text is simply this, the people of Reconcile in include regular rhythms of fasting as avenues to commune with God. If you wanted to hear my whole sermon in a sentence, it's simply that, that the people of Reconcile include regular rhythms of fasting as avenues to commune with God. But why, as we come to our text today, why is fasting important? 
Why would Jesus spend time in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, this idea where he's literally given us the magnum opus of what it means to be a kingdom ambassador, to be a part of the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount? This is the marching orders. This is how the kingdom, uh, this is how the kingdom functions. This is how a kingdom recipient responds. This is how they live in the midst of the upside down kingdom. This is where Matthew chapter six is nestled in. It's nestled right into uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's been talking about this idea of loving your enemies and how to give and how to pray and the Lord's prayer is there and in all of these different things. And then he goes into fasting. And this is important for us because if he's saying these things, if he's giving us all of these different pieces, he includes fasting as one of those things. It's a hallmark for what the Christian would be, the kingdom ambassador would be, that they would actually fast. And so it's important if Jesus spoke about it in the Sermon on the Mount, being that it is literally the magnum opus of what it means to be a part of the kingdom agenda, then we must talk about it too. And there must be some importance in it that may be deeper than what we've actually been talking about or maybe been led to believe for it to be. And so there are three quick movements I want to show us through these three verses that Jesus gives us in 16, 17, and 18 that I believe would help us to reorient our lives to this reminder that, man, fasting allows us to embrace our dependence on him. Here, here's the first thing that Jesus gives us. And again, it's not going to be earth shattering. Here's the first thing that is assumed. That is assumed. The text opens up and he says, whenever you fast, Jesus opens up with an assumption that the people who are around him, who are saying that they're going to be a part of his kingdom, the part of his kingdom agenda, that they are going to fast. Now, now it's important for us to understand that Jesus was Jewish. And did the Jews back in those days fast? They did. But it wasn't as regular as you may have thought. They would have done it a few times out of the year. But they did have a practice that they would actually fast. And what Jesus is getting at is that this same practice was brought over into the kingdom agenda. And it wasn't optional, but it was one of those things that was mandatory. It was going to happen. But sometimes what happens in our society when we hear these ideas that Jesus is assuming these things, meaning that it's a command in a lot of ways that you are going to do it, like that you will be practicing it. Uh, we live in a time where we don't like when people tell us what to do even if it's Jesus. And so when we see these things and he says, like, when you fast, some of us automatically say, well, I can't fast from food. I can't fast from this. I can't do this and I can't do that. And in a lot of ways, what we see is that God is like, Jesus is saying, look, man, it's, it's a practice that you'll do. But it's not so much that we should get hung up on the, uh, the reality that, man, we have to fast. But again, if we're looking at this from the context of a relationship, we get to fast. Out of all of the disciplines that Jesus gives, that we talk about, all of the disciplines that we look at the scriptures, where we're talking about silence and solitude, where we're talking about praying, where we're talking about fasting, where we're talking about all evangelism and all these things, there are only a few things that Jesus actually says like, hey, man, you, you got to do it. This is something you got to do. And fasting is one of them. And I get it. It's hard. <laughs> One of the reasons why we don't really engage in it is because it's causing us to have to abstain from something. It's causing us to have to sacrifice to some degree. 
But what it offers us that the other practices can't is that it forces us to be reminded of our dependence on him. It reminds us of our humanity, and it also reminds us of God's amazing divinity. It removes the clutter from our life uh, so that we can hear clearly hear his voice. And it forces us to show up with all of ourselves to our relationship with him. Fasting removes those things. It declutters what's happening. Why? Because you're having to remove the very craving. You're removing the things that may have cluttered your life. You're, you're removing, if it's social media, the inundation of all of this mess in your life. You're removing it so that the only thing that you can hear is the voice of God. Maybe it's removing the, 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 the food in our lives so that when our stomach groans, we are reminded that our spiritual stomach groans to be with him. It's a reminder. It gets us to focus in on our relationship with God, that we can come to him. This is the beauty of it. This is why he's saying, hey, look, when you fast, it's, it's, it's actually good for you to do it. Why? Because in a lot of ways, fasting is just like uh, that uh, check engine light or that maintenance light on your car. It helps us to really understand what's happening underneath the hood of our lives, to assess our heart level at things and where things are residing in our hearts. It's allowing us this opportunity to do heavy heart work. As you fast, things come to the surface that you didn't even know were there. It's an awesome opportunity for us to be able to see these things, deal with these things, but we don't deal with them alone. In these moments where we're fasting and we're denying ourselves and we're seeing things come up, maybe maybe habits or maybe idols or maybe things that maybe we've been struggling with, we see them come to the surface. The beautiful thing is that as they come to the surface in the time of our fasting, we can literally hand them to God. Fasting provides a necessary maintenance opportunity for us to pause, to assess, to refresh and be renewed in our relationship with God. One of the things that uh, is interesting, I, I know I was talking about social media, but sometimes social media can be hilarious because there are these videos that will come up. And and and, and many of you who who know uh, me, you know my, my stepdad and I, we, we, we like to work on our cars. And, and one of the things that we always make sure that we do is that we change our oil. We change it actually probably more often than you should, but we understand the importance of why changing our oil and having clean oil in our cars matters. Uh, because it helps the engine run more smoothly, you do, you lessen the chances of misfires and all of these different things. But there are some people who who, who don't get their oil changed. Now, some of you may be watching or maybe you're in here today and, and maybe that whole concept of, of changing oil is just foreign to us. Um, but there are these videos that I've been watching as of late uh, where people have literally uh, gone way over the limit uh, before they've gotten their oil changed. And so what happens in these videos is that these mechanics will say that, hey, um, this so-and-so, my client came in today and they said that their engine was seized. If you don't know what an engine seizing in, it's essentially that the engine locked up. And, and he's saying they don't know why it was locked up. They don't know why they can't turn a key and the engine is turning over. They have no idea what's going on. But all they know is that their engine 
engine, their car is not working. And so the mechanic usually will ask them, and he's recording this on the video, when was the last time you got your oil checked? And usually the people will get a little, little, uh, a little flushed in their face because they realize that they hadn't done it. And so the mechanic will go over and ask again, so did you see the maintenance lights? Did you, did you, did you know that you should be doing this regularly and routinely? Why, why haven't you spent time, like why haven't you changed your oil? When was the last time that you can imagine or even think that you've changed your oil? He goes on and on and on and then he eventually stops. And usually the video is the same. They'll, they'll put the car up on the lift They'll begin to take the screws and the nuts and the bolts off of uh, that's necessary for the, the oil to drain. But when they go to drain the oil, there's no oil coming out of the car. And this is odd because oil is you know, it's a liquid. But if left unchecked and constantly driven on, over time, that oil will begin to get thicker and thicker and thicker to the point that it becomes almost like jello. And jello inside of an engine is a very bad thing. It causes that car to lock up. It causes the car to be immobile. It causes the car to be useless. I believe sometimes we find ourselves and our lives may be seasoned up. We may find ourselves in these spaces where we just don't feel like nothing is happening right. Where it seems like, man, God, I, I, I thought that I was doing what I was supposed to, but if we were to really peel back the layers and onions, we hadn't really given ourselves that extended time to declutter our hearts, to really allow God to really to do something in our hearts. We, we, we haven't come to this idea of fasting and seeing it as an opportunity where God can do some, some heavy lifting in our lives. And in a lot of ways, changing our spiritual oil. And so we seize up. We lock up. We may do all of the peripheral things, but maybe the, the deep heart level stuff, God is saying, man, I want to do that, but I need to declutter your life. I need you to abstain from something. I need you so that you're, you're fully focused so that we can work on those things in private. I just want to be with you and I need you to hear from me. But we've avoided it. And I believe that at times, this is what happens, that this can be a byproduct. And so it's assumed when you fast. But then secondly, what we see here is that you do it for an audience of one. You do it for an audience of one. The text says this in the, this is what the text says. It says, so whenever you fast, you don't, uh, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces so that their faces, their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I'll tell you that they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. You do it for an audience of one. Now, now I, I know that I may get in trouble here, uh, but it gives me grounds to be able to share this, that it is a reality. This is very practical. This is a very practical point, and it's literally couched in a warning. He, he's essentially saying, look, you don't have to worry about trying to show the world that you're spiritual. He says this idea of fasting is not for the world to see. This is something that is literally between you and God. 
Now, our fasting is deeply communal in some degrees where we see whole people fasting. But what he's getting them to understand is that it's fundamentally not for you to try to show the world how spiritual you are. He says, because the moment that you begin to uh, broadcast to the world that I, I am fasting, he's saying that you just got your reward. Because when that person, that, that person likes or, or sees that post and they're like, mm, that, that, oh, that girl is she she really walking with the Lord. Or somebody says, oh, look at you. That's so great. He's saying everything that you get in those moments is exactly what your reward will be. And if you think about this, this warning is interesting because when we come to fasting, most of the time people are coming to receive something from God. But if we're doing it from a wrong motive, he's saying the very thing that you were trying to get from him, you won't get, but you'll get something superficial in exchange. And so what he's saying is then essentially and what he's getting at is that, man, you may try to use fasting a good thing with the bad motivation. And he says it will not lead to what it is that you're truly trying to get. He's saying, listen, focus your attention on this reality that you are you are fasting for an audience of one. And in the selfie culture, in this social media age, I cringe when I see brothers and sisters do this, where, where, where they're like, oh, I'm fasting for the next five weeks and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out. God is like, you don't got to do all of that. Just fast. No one needs to know. If you're going to do it, just do it. It's between you and God. It's not about the world to see what you are doing. It digs deeper to this idea of motivations. Bad motives and good things can literally hurt people in the process. Doing good things with bad motives can lead to devastating consequences. We have to check our hearts. Again, this idea of us wanting to be utterly dependent on our relationship with God, again, is predicated on our relationship with him. If we're using fasting to get accolades from people, then we're literally shortchanging the opportunity to be with him. And he's saying, if you're going to choose adulation of crowds over being with me, then I'll let them clap for you. But when the heart is asking me to do something deeply, you got what you wanted. But this isn't anything new. We've always struggled with this. We struggle with the motivation that comes with uh, us wanting to walk in these realities, to use these practices. You are not alone. If you found yourself and you may be saying to yourself, gosh, that's that sounds like something that I've done. You're in good company. In the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah, uh, Zechariah gives us this particular passage of scripture. And it's very interesting that the people of God were literally spending time fasting multiple times uh, in the scriptures. There was these moments where they were, they were spending this time in fasting. They were, they were doing the thing. But look at what Zechariah says in Zechariah chapter seven. He says, then the word of the Lord of armies came to me. This is, this is God speaking. Ask all the people of the land and the priest. When you fasted and lamented in the fifth and seventh months for these events years, did you really fast for me? 
want you to sit with that. Did you, he's essentially saying, you did all of this fasting, but did you do it for me? Did you, did you do it to like be with me? Or were you doing this for something else? It's, it's haunting, but it is the same question that we should ask ourselves when it comes to fasting. When we enter into that season of fasting, we should be asking ourselves a question. Am I doing this to be with him or to get something from him? And if you know that you're trying to get something from him, you might want to pause. If I'm doing the fasting to try to prove to myself or to someone else that I am indeed spiritual, you might want to pause. Because again, bad motives by doing good things can lead to some devastation. Being married has exposed a lot of my frailties. I'm not ashamed to say this. It has literally exposed some of my my conundrums, my frailties in life. One of the things that I noticed is that, man, if I'm not careful, I'll try to uh, set up these if-then statements in my life. If I wash the dishes, if I, you know, take out the trash, if I clean the floors, if I um, fold the laundry, if I do all of these things, good things that will support and love and cherish, like my wife would receive those. But if I'm doing those things and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking if I do these, then she's got to let me, you know, go play my my game uninterrupted. Or or maybe that means that, you know, if, if I do these things, then I just expect that she's going to allow me to do X, Y, and Z or to get this or to go here or to spend this. If, if I do these things, then I should get something in return. That somehow, some way, my motive in the at the end of the day is not necessarily to bless my wife, it's to bless myself through my wife. And that always leads to problems because she can sniff it a mile away. And so although I may have been doing good things, if my motivation is off, it can lead to not better intimacy with her, but what it can end up being is that I could be short circuiting a great relationship and, and losing intimacy with her, with the relationship that matters most. And so the question that comes to us is how is our heart's posture towards the Lord and, and, and the ways we can, can commune with him? Do we see them as means to an end to deepen our relationship with him? Or are we trying to get something from him? When it looks at this idea of fasting specifically, like, am I seeing these as opportunities to commune with God? Or am I looking at these opportunities to fast, to be able to use these gifts and talents, specifically this gift of fasting as a means to an end to get something from him? I'm constantly going to come back into this loop and this idea because I want us to fight against the notion of believing that just because we do certain things, that that means that God automatically means that he's going to have to do something for us. That our disciplines and our habits, if we're going to be people who are going to be with God, that we use these disciplines as opportunities, these practices or whatever you want to call them, rhythms, uh, these opportunities, these things to be able to be with him. And the byproduct, if it happens, 
that he gives us direction. He gives us guidance. He gives us lead. If he gives us those things in the moment, praise God. But in, 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 the, in, the, in essence, those things are just opportunities. They're on ramps to get us to be in commune, uh, community with him, to deepen our relationship with him. Third and finally, I, I want to get out of our hair because I feel like I've held us too long. The third and final thing is that God promises a reward. Look at the last part of it. He says this, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I'm, I'm going to be real quick. That's the promise. When you fast, when you fast, there is a reward. That's the good news. So when we fast, there's a reward. I just, I wish it was something bigger than that. But I know what you're thinking. But Brandon, I thought you said there's a reward. But the scriptures are interesting. If we were to look at this passage again, there's a reward. It's coming. God is God is saying, look, man, uh, if you if you fast with the right motives, if he sees you in secret, he's going to reward you. This is what the text says. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You can take that to the bank. However, I want you to notice a few things about this reward from our text. Look back at it with me. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. We don't know what that reward will be. Text doesn't give us an idea of what the reward will be. All we know is that there is a reward that will be given, which means that if we are coming to our time of fasting, looking for just direction, what if God doesn't give you direction, but he gives you comfort? What if we are in the midst of fasting and you're asking God, Lord, I need you to come through and I need you to do this. I need you to show me where I need to go. And, and what if during that time of fasting, what if it is that God's reward for you is different than what you've anticipated. Because the text tells us that there will be a reward, but there's no specific answer to what that reward will be. We just know that as a good father, he will reward us for it. But not only do we not know what that reward may be, but then secondly, we don't have a timestamp on when that reward is coming. He just says, again, I'm gonna read it again because maybe I'm missing something. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He doesn't say instantaneously. He doesn't say that it's going to come in three to five business days. He just says that there will be a reward that will come. There's no timestamp on that reward, which means that you could fast and God may not dispense the reward until years later, months later, days later. Or it could be right there. We don't have a timestamp. Again, the reward is coming, but we don't know what it's going to be, and we don't know when we're going to get it. But then, third and finally, we don't know the quantity of the reward. I love this. Again, look at the text. And your father, who is sees in secret, will reward you. How much of this reward are you going to get? Is it going to be enough for what you think you should get? We have no idea. 
The only thing that we know for a fact is that God will dispense a reward for us who have fasted in a way to just be with him, that there's going to be a reward that will be dispensed. We don't know what it may be, but we can trust the following. We can trust that if we are with him and understanding that he is a good father, then what we know is that he will give us a good gift at the right time. That's necessary for us. You see, if we come into fasting thinking that it will happen right away, we can be setting ourselves up to have misshapen expectations for what this is. Fasting, primarily, hear me again, isn't just to get things from God, but to be with him. That means this, that fasting is never a waste, even if we don't get anything right away or what we are intending. God is not bound by time and his rewards he gives. He gives them when he sees fit and when his sight is clear, his intentions are pure. And we know what we he knows what we need and when we need it. So. He may not give you what you wanted when you fasted, but what if he moves on that moment 20 years later when the time for that reward is ripe? Was it worth your time? Was it worth the wait? I close because I close at this. We, we live in the already but not yetness. That there are moments and times where God will give us a promise, but then we got to wait for him to move again for it to be actualized. There's the already but not yetness. He's saying, look, when you fast and when you're doing these things, look, I'm going to give you a reward. That's the truth. You will get it. But what he's saying at the same time is I sit outside of time. I know what I'm doing. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The truth, the promise is that you're going to get it, but it's going to come on my time. You can't twist my arm to get me to move faster. I know what it is that you need, but what I need you to understand is that your fasting is to be with me. I know what the reward should be for you, but we're going to have to wait. But in the midst of us waiting in the midst of our fasting, we're depending on him, knowing that The waiting is never in vain. He's a good father who gives good gifts. And the way that we can be with him and to be reminded of our dependence on him is through this sacred practice of fasting. I close with this. Uh, One of my favorite basketball players is Allen Iverson. Um, And it was cool watching him get uh, recognized as one of the top 75 basketball players in the NBA. It was cool just to be able to see all of that stuff transpire and take place. He deserves it. Many years ago, many of us saw um, him going through some rough uh, financial situations. He had earned a bunch of money in the NBA, uh, but he was finding himself in some financial hardships. I mean, real bad financial hardships. There was a meme that floated around where he was in the court and I think he was doing something with one of his his uh, baby's mothers and they were trying to do, I think, child support things or something like that. And he was saying, I only got, I don't even got two dollars to get myself a burger. Like he was saying that his financial situation was dire. It was messed up. Now, hear me. Allen Iverson made millions in his career. Millions. But in that moment, what we saw was what what seemed to be an NBA player who had burnt all of his money. But what we did not know was that Allen Iverson had financial advisors who had a hunch that he may have spent all of his money if he had all unfiltered access to it right when he got into the league. And so what these financial advisors did, 
he once he signed on the dotted line and he began to get his money, they put some money away into a deferred account, meaning that he couldn't tap this money until he was older in, in stages of life. And so although he had functionally had the money, they had put it away for when he would need it most. And so he went through life and he found himself in a sticky situation. But because of the foresight of these financial advisors, Allen Iverson was able to recoup money on the back end that seemed to be have gone in the wind. Let's share the story because what it gives us is this reality that when we're fasting, we're being with God. God knows what's happening in the midst. He knows what we need. He knows what we desire. He's probably going to just use those things, those moments, those sweet moments of communion with him. In the midst of us reminding ourselves of how dependent we are on him, he's using those things. He's, he's, he's keeping all of the track. He knows when he should reward you and he knows how to reward you. And he knows just how much he needs to reward you and how to do it and what to give you. But for us, brothers and sisters, when it comes, we celebrate. But even if it doesn't come right away, we understand that it gives us an opportunity to be with him. And so my question for us as we close, he will reward you. But can we sit in the waiting room trusting that it will be worth it? Let's pray together. Pray, pray together. Gracious God, we're thankful for this opportunity to be reminded of our dependence upon you, knowing that we need you. Lord, I pray now that you would be with us, that you would guide us, that you would remind us that this sacred art of fasting gives us an opportunity to be in community with you, to be reminded of our utter dependence upon you, reminding ourselves that we can't do this on our own. And so, Lord, I pray that if if the check engine light of our spiritual lives is blinking right now, and I pray that we would consider uh, making rhythms of fasting where we remove all of the noise from our lives to be able to hear from you, that we would be focused in our relationship with you to just commune and be with you, that we would enjoy the opportunities to have our hearts uh, realigned uh, with what matters most, and that's to be with you. And so, Lord, we are thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for this moment to be reminded that we can be the people of God who love to embrace our dependence upon you. Lord, I pray that in those moments where we are stepping out to practice fasting, that we would come from a place where our motives are to be with you and not to impress others, to not try to focus on something else, to not try to relegate our relationship and our actions that we do with you to get something from you, but that we just literally want to be with you. God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this opportunity to be reminded that you've given us this opportunity to be the people of Reconcile. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen and amen.